talked about loving the lost. We talked about love as a, in relation to the Great Commission. We talked about love last week as it relates to us, a body of Christ, the church, and was, did some real internal work last week as far as how we should look to others, how we should embrace others. And, and uh, this week I'm going to get even more personal, and we're going to talk about, the, about love in the home the love of God in the home, and, and uh, why we should be compelled to love one another at home. I don't know if you realize this, but that's usually one of the hardest places to love people. That's where your guard's down, you can't really put up the facade, you know, you come to the church, put on the suit and the smiley face, and everybody think, oh, that's just a great, Pastor Bob's just a great guy. If you want to know who I am and how I am, ask my wife and kids, and they'll tell you who and how I am. It's real easy to put up the facade, you know. I have had the last few years, several years, had the honor and privilege of being able to speak to Miss Davis's class over at school. They, they go through a mock wedding every year. And uh, I get to go over and do marital counseling with high school kids. It's a lot of fun. They just look at you like this. <laughs> Not uncomfortable at all. You know, I go in, we... We, uh, Miss Davis has said, you know, that that's the thing. We go in there, and, and uh, if these kids are going to get married someday, most of them are going to get married by a pastor. So we'd be doing them a great injustice if we didn't tell them why pastors think marriage is so serious and to share from the Word of God why we believe what we believe. Miss Davis is a pretty sharp woman, isn't she? She's sharp. I love Davis. She's my most favoritist teacher in the whole world. She didn't teach me English, obviously, but she's, uh, she's a little bit crazy, and I, she knows that, and we talk about that. But I love her, and we get to go in and do that. Well, the problem is, is I sit in there, and I talk to these kids, and you can just tell for the majority of them, there's, you start talking about family, and you start talking about where family started, and marriage started in the Garden of Eden. You talk about all these things. All of a sudden, you start seeing the wheels turning, and the, they don't get it. They have no idea. If they had no clue. They've heard of Adam and Eve, and they're sitting there talking to you like, you really believe this stuff. You, know, you can see it in their eyes. But we talk about that. We talk about the blood covenant of marriage. We talk about the bond of marriage, the spiritual connection that takes place. We talk about divorce and how destructive it is and how it tears and rips and how God takes one and one equals one and how it's impossible to separate two a whole into two single complete halves again. It's just impossible. We talk about all that stuff. I share scripture with them for 45 to 50 minutes. And they do this the whole time. I get to talk to them about why marriage is between a man and a woman and not between a man and a man and a woman and a woman or a dog and a cat or anything like that. I explain to them the difference between human beings and animals. And I'm invited to do it. Does it get any better than that? And they all do this. The cool thing is, is I guess it's not cool, the sad thing is, interesting thing is, is you sit there and you look around that room, and even though it's not a huge class, uh, you know that many of them have come from, from divorced homes, homes where their families were a wreck. Uh, many of them, well, some of them, if they aren't pregnant or have kids already, they will before they're out of school. Uh, just recognizing that there's a real need, and, and, and it's real easy for us to look at that situation of, of our kids today and the family and uh, say, well, the family's just under attack. The family's under attack. Things aren't like they used to be. Listen, the family has always been under attack. We're going to look at that this morning. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 2, the family was established in the Garden of Eden, and it fell in the Garden of Eden. 
the family was put together in the Garden of Eden, and the family was attacked in the Garden of Eden. I remember my sisters used to fight. I never did anything wrong. <laughs> Quiet, Joyce. That wasn't that funny. I personally never did anything wrong, and uh, I'm a step over so that lightning doesn't hit one. <laughs> the cool thing about my sisters and myself, even, you know, with family, you can, you can trash each other. You can have a hold of the other one's hair and slapping them and screaming. But if somebody outside the family said something about that person, the whole bunch of you is going after them. You know what I'm saying? And there's some good stuff to that. But the truth of the matter is, is we're really not acting in love by doing that either. You know what I mean? Well, I'm going to go get them. Well, that's, that's not love. It's real important for us to understand where the family started, where, that it was established with God. God is love. It's placed within us. And love has got to be prominent in our homes. Amen? If we're going to do anything for the kingdom of God, our homes have got to be set in order. Now, before I go any further this morning, I recognize and know that there are people in our midst that have been divorced, that have been through turmoil, have been through trouble. Listen, I'm not talking against you. I know that you understand the pain of all the stuff we're going to talk about. We have compassion for you. We love you. If you are a child here that's coming from a divided home, I'm sorry. This is not to condemn your home or to say that you're hopeless. If, you are a, if you're an individual that maybe is a single parent for various reasons, listen, it's not here to condemn you at all. This is just teaching that's got to take place. Amen? It, just because things have happened in the past, maybe some things have been done wrong or somebody's been hurt, doesn't mean we can't teach the truth. But we learn from the things that we've experienced and we grow forward and we, we, we take that with us and we do build things on the proper foundation. We make right what we can make right. Amen? There are some people that have been divorced that had to be and needed to be. You say, you're just a pastor. You're a pastor and you just said that there's some divorces that need to take place? Yes. If there's violence, if people aren't safe in their home, if they're threatening to kill one another, if there's, uh, all, there's scriptural things in there talking about adultery and whatnot, that, that the grounds it's okay to get divorced. It doesn't mean you run out and do it, amen? It doesn't mean you just burst right into it, but there are some things, that there's some people that need to be separated and they should have never been in that relationship to begin with. This is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at this from scriptural perspective. Don't feel bad. I don't expect you to dance in the aisles with this. I don't expect you to throw your hands up and start shouting hallelujah, amen. This is not one of those messages. Maybe I'll do one like that here in a week or two. But today, this is a teaching and a challenge to the families of the First Assembly of God Church here in Covington, Indiana. If we are going to do what we feel God has called us to do in this community, in this state, in this nation, we've got to start with our homes. Even though this series has kind of went down to this, we went backwards a little bit. But it's kind of nice to see what we need to do for the lost. We need to understand the Great Commission. We need to make sure our church is in order. But then we need to understand that before we can get all that stuff done, we've got to get our homes in order first. And when we get our homes in order, it'll affect the church and it'll affect everything else. So let's look at this. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, where the family started in verse um, 15. Verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. 
So let's look real closely here. Oh, I guess I'm not done reading. I want to keep reading. I'm sorry. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and all the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. So let's just kind of look at the picture here that took place. First and foremost, for those of you arrogant men out there that say because man was created first, we're the better species, we're, we're, we're awesome. We're the best. That's not true. It's not true. I'm a guy, I can say that. It's not true. You're not the best and the greatest in the world. God was establishing Adam. He didn't make him first because he was God's perfect and most wonderful creation and that the woman was an afterthought. He created Adam first to teach him and prepare him for the leadership role that he had set him up to have. Let's look real close at that again. He put him in the garden to do what? To tend it. He took care of the garden. He took care of what was established there. He gave him some responsibility. And then he turned around and he said, of this tree, don't eat that. He gave him some commands, gave him some direction, gave him some boundaries. Don't eat of that. And when he showed himself faithful, God said, look, I'm going to make some animals come to him. He said there's no helper found for him. So he puts these animals out there and Adam starts naming them and playing with them. I don't know if he named this one like Billy Bob and that one. I don't know. But he starts naming them and calling them all these names and taking care of them. And God's, but there was no helper found suitable. Now, what do you think that was for? Do you think God didn't know that there wasn't a helper suitable for man and an animal? He had to show that to Adam. Adam had to figure it out. He had the process of self, uh, self-sufficiency, responsibility. He had to understand who God was. He had to know God. He had to know the boundaries that God wanted him to live within. And then all of a sudden, he's got these animals. He's tending them and taking care of them. And he says, you know what? All these, there's two of everything, but I'm by myself. There's not really a helper made for me. You see, before a young man gets married, and I encourage young men of this all the time before they come to me about getting married, is, is, is listen, you've, you've got you've to have a life, you know? You've got to show yourself responsible. You, you've had to live and been responsible. You've got to provide some kind of avenue of, of self-sufficiency, of income. You've got to have some kind of a walk with Christ. How can you lead others if you yourself are not following Christ? That's what God did for Adam. Showed him the boundaries, gave him some responsibility, prepared him, and then he he began to put a desire in his heart to say, look, there's no suitable helper for you here with these animals. And then he gave him his most precious creation. Before God can place a man in charge of another human being, he must first understand the heart of God. Before God could place a man in charge or at the head of another human being, he must first fully and understand completely who the Father in Heaven is to be able to show that to his family. So it's not the man that's the most greatest creation. It's the man with the greatest amount of responsibility on his life is why he was created first. So let's look a little further. Genesis 2, verse 21 And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. Which I think some of us still have that curse on us today. Men, never mind. We sleep in the chair, we sleep on the couch, we sleep in the bed. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had, had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked. The man and his wife were not ashamed. Up to this point, marriage was perfect. 
Family was perfect. No problems, no trouble. The picture of that is is they were both naked and, and they weren't ashamed. Do you know that when there's a perfect relationship between a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman, there is absolute transparency? You know there's nothing hidden. Do you want a close walk with your your husband, ladies? Or do you want a close walk with your your wife, gentlemen? Then you need to be absolutely transparent and open with her. Nothing hiding you. Nothing nothing that's closing you off from her. Absolute and total intimacy and closeness. And then all of a sudden, you know, this, this relationship needs to be nurtured. This closeness. This, this closeness that is built between one another because when you throw kids in the mix of it, sometimes it gets misconstrued and, and thrown off. But everything begins with mom and dad. Everything. If mom and dad aren't right, then the family's not going to be right. And I know this is so elementary for all of us today. I know that we've heard this 10,000 bazillion millions and billions of times if those are numbers. We have got to get to a place to where our house is in order and it looks like this again. Not that we have to be naked all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But that we get to a place of so much love between one another that there's absolute transparency and I'm not ashamed. Gentlemen, would your wife be ashamed if she come to your work break room and sit and listen to you talk? Wives, would your husband be ashamed if he sit and listen to the phone conversations and the talking that you do with your friends? If we do, if there's a shame there, that means that we've covered ourselves and we're no longer transparent. We've got to get to a place to where that person is the most intimate person in our lives and that there's nothing hidden from them. So the fall of man comes next. I'm going to save us from reading all the scripture. We know Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to jump down and, and read not all of it. We know where the serpent comes and and confuses Eve and says, look, if you, if you eat of the fruit, you're not going to die. You'll be like God. You'll be able to know good from evil and all this stuff. We've read all this before. She takes the fruit. Verse 6, And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree thereof? I commanded thee not, thou shouldest not eat. And the man said, The woman. (laughs) The woman, Lord. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Now all of a sudden we have a family full of confusion and dysfunction. Sin. Connected with the fall of man was the fall of the family. It didn't just happen with the movement of homosexuality, trying to get gay marriage rights. and all that. That's not when it happened. Satan hadn't just started attacking the family in the last two years. It started in the Garden of Eden. It started with the division between a husband and a wife. It started with a husband throwing off his restraint, well, his his responsibility of leading his family and following a woman as God rather than God as God. Some people say, well, see, Eve was the one. Eve's the one that ate the fruit. Isn't that what Adam just said on here? Gentlemen, it's not her fault. It's his fault. Some of you are questioning me. 
and one of you snoring. Listen, it's not Eve's fault. It was Adam that was placed in the garden to know God. It was Adam that was placed in the garden to tend things. It was Adam that was placed in the garden to know the boundaries. It was Adam that was entrusted with the leadership and responsibility to be able to tell Eve when she brought the fruit, said, put that down, we're not eating it. Because when Adam ate, then their eyes were opened. He threw off his responsibility. And can I just say something? I'm a man, which hopefully we already knew that. But as a man, my tendency is to throw off responsibility. I, I, don't, I don't like confrontation. I don't like having to deal with things. The, the tendency of us guys is we get home from work, we just want to go on shutdown, you know? Kick the feet up, eat some supper, turn on the idiot box, lay around, sleep, whatever. Don't talk to me. I'll talk to you, I guess. I don't hate you. I'm just not going to start a conversation. You know what I mean? We indulge ourselves into just this mind that really isn't a steel trap. You know, we just try to close ourselves off into it. But isn't that what Adam did? He didn't feel like dealing with the confrontation. He didn't feel like teaching. He didn't feel like leading. He didn't feel like doing the role that God had set him up into be. And when that happens, when it starts at the top and works its way down, then all of a sudden your children are killing each other like Cain and Abel. Dysfunction in the home starts and ends with the parents and sin. Dysfunction in the home is the lack of Christ, the lack of the love of God in that home. And you may say, well, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Remember Achan? Sin doesn't just affect us. We have this tendency to think, it's just me. It's not going to affect the family. It's a private thing. Nobody knows about it. Wasn't that the problem of Achan? He went and, and fought and, and brought back plunder and hid it in his, his like five pounds of silver and a gold wedge or something and hides it under his tent. And then the, the, it affected the, the nation. They got beat up in a, in a battle and destroyed and they got all worried and seeking God. And finally it comes down to Achan's family. They go in there and start digging. They find it in the tent. They said, get his whole family out of here. And the whole family, his donkeys, his cattle, his sheep, everything stoned and burned. You think sin just affects you, dad or mom? It affects the whole family. Remember Korah and Korah's rebellion in the Old Testament? They rise up and told Moses, we need to find a new leader and we get, take us back to Egypt. The whole family was destroyed. Remember David? David and his sin with Bathsheba? It was just him and Bathsheba. Nobody else was around. Who did it affect? It affected Uriah the Hittite. It affected the baby, the unborn child. It affected everybody that was connected with them, even all the way up to Absalom. Even acting out the same behavior in public that, added, that uh, David had done in private. Our sin in our families destroys and causes us to be dysfunctional. The lack of the love of God in our homes causes us, and, and it always happens where there's a family situation if that man is not leading as he's called to lead, or if the mom and the children don't allow him to lead like he's been called to lead, or if they've all hidden themselves from the presence of God, they've covered themselves and indulged in their sin, I guarantee you that family will be dysfunctional. Now I know we're all dysfunctional to an extent, and I know that we look at it and say, Pastor Bob, you're crazy. How in the world are you going to stop being dysfunctional as a family in a world that's fallen, if Adam and Eve couldn't do it when they saw God face to face, then how are we going to do it? I can tell you this. Every family is going to have some, some level of dysfunction in it, okay? Because we're not perfect. 
But we, as children of God, if we live by the Word, can change that. We may never be perfect in our families, but we can sure erase a lot of the trouble that we face. We can sure take care of a lot of the situations if our men, if our dads would rise up and lead as they've been called to lead. If you would turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look and just look through this chapter here, beginning in verse 15, and see what it is the Scripture says about how we can, can uh, do this and do it right. It's in our homes. It's in our homes that we're most apt to hurt people. It's in our homes that we say, well, they love us, so it doesn't matter, I can really say this, when all that is is an excuse to not show any restraint. You know what I mean? It's in our homes that we would say and do things that we would never do in public. But if we get our homes straightened away, if we get our homes in order, God's going to move. So let's look real quick. Chapter 5, verse 15. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise of understanding what the will of the Lord is. Church, if we're going to get our houses in order, we've got to start here. We've got to understand where we live, the day and age we live in. The NIV version says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Mom and dad, we have to understand what culture our children are living in. We need to take every opportunity because the days we live in are evil. There's a lot of evil behavior going on out there, and it's your responsibility and my responsibility to live according to the wisdom of this word and not the wisdom of this world. There are a lot of philosophies that are being taught about the family, about the home. There are a lot of philosophies and things that are being said and encouraged, whether it be by media, by news, by the schools, whatever, whatever social studies project it is about gay marriage or anything else, whatever it is that's being taught to your kid, we have got to set the standard for our home that we are going to live by the Word of God. It is relevant for today. It is real for today. And every decision we make is going to be based upon this thing. It's going to be written upon, upon this thing. And we look at Galatians chapter 5, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we will live by these in our homes, we will be able to live by them in public. Because the home is the, most, is the hardest place to live by them. It's hard to be joyful at home when things are going wrong. It's hard to have patience. It's hard to live with patience. 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 God help me to have patience. And then he throws you into a situation that you've got to have patience. And I say, God, help me to learn patience. He says, just be patient. You will. <laughs> I, patience. You know, what about, uh, what about self-control? Ouch. But Pastor Bob, they, you don't understand what she said to me. I just, no, 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 no. Self-control. Control yourself. You don't have to respond to everything and react with anger and frustration. You don't have to be controlled by your feelings. If we will deal with conflict according to the Word of God and allow the Spirit that's within us to come out of our lives and out of our mouth, and, and it would change the atmosphere of our home. This self-control thing is hard for us men. It's really hard because we always have a reason for, to say what we're going to say. It's always important and there's a purpose. You know, we're, we're uh, designed by God to lead. 
and leaders instruct and inform. <laughs> I'm saying this honestly. If you're on the work, out in the workplace, if something ain't right, you tell them it ain't right. What are you doing? So we come home and we bring that same attitude, that same mentality. We tear down our wife, our kids. Rather than just showing a little bit of self-control and saying, yes, okay, that offended me. How do I need to speak to my wife in love, which is another part of the fruit of the Spirit? How can I be a source of joy in this home, in this family? The first thing we have to do to be able to do this is to intentionally live according to the wisdom of this word instead of the wisdom of this world. And the reason I say intentionally is that godly families don't just happen. They don't, we don't just have kids and babies and throw them in front of Sesame Street and then 18 years later they're just a healthy functioning adult. That doesn't happen. Healthy families are intentional. They're intentionally taught. Besides that, you don't know what kind of freaks they put on PBS on Sesame Street anymore. Lady Gaga? We put Lady Gaga on Sesame Street? Why? <laughs> Secondly, we need to be intentional in making our home Christ-centered with an atmosphere of worship and encouragement. Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21 say, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always. Giving thanks, oops, I messed up. Giving thanks for all things, sorry, unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Listen, let's set a standard of a Christ-centered home. Now we talked already putting our hope in the Bible. Let's put it in practice. Let's, this says right here not to get drunk on wine. We understand that. But let's change it to say let's not get self-indulged. Let's not get overindulgent in selfish pleasure in our homes. Everybody says, well, you shouldn't be drunk on wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is talking about not overindulging, okay? Let's not overindulge in the television. Let's not overindulge in in recreation. All these things are good, right? They're good in good measure. If you want to watch a television program, it's not sinful, it's not wrong, watch it. But if that's all you do and you never crack open this Bible with your kids, you never pray, you never seek God, you never instruct them with anything, then it's probably not good. There's nothing wrong with golfing, guys, but if you want to golf 24-7, 365, and throw off all of your restraint about your family and all the responsibilities entitled with that, if you want to throw that off, probably it's not good to golf. And you can take that and apply it to everything. You say, why do you say that? Because we live in America, last time I checked, the the nation of self-indulgence. The nation that says if it feels good, do it. Just go ahead and do it. Listen, our families are getting left in the dust because we're all so busy making ourselves feel good. And it's the same mentality that our children are going out and getting pregnant and having sex and doing all the stuff they're doing is because if it feels good, do it. Mom and dad do. It's just different things. Oh, but we like to point out drugs and alcohol. Listen, church. As long as we don't put into practice and live out the things in our homes in front of our children, we're doing them a great injustice and our family will be full of sin, less of God, and very dysfunctional. I told you nobody would be shouting about this this morning. We need to make sure that, uh, it says giving thanks always for all things unto God. We need to thank God for our children. When we pray over them, we need to thank God by name for those kids. 
Thank God for Alyssa. Thank God for Kevin. Thank God for April. They need to hear mom and dad thanking God for the other one because we have a lot of kids in the school over here that come through our youth ministry over here that come through and think, you know what, nobody really cares about me. Nobody really thinks anything about me. And you think that's impossible. Their mom and dad's at home. Listen, if mom and dad are at home and they're not in their lives, but, but dad, you know, but gee, I go to every one of their soccer games, every one of their football games and basketball. Covington is ate up with sports. I mean, it's their God. I, let's just be honest here. I'm not saying sports is evil and that we shouldn't have kids in sports, but listen to me real closely. If I, as a father, the only thing I teach my kid how to do is to kick a soccer ball, hit a baseball, shoot a basket, throw a football, hit a tennis ball, hit a golf ball, if that's the only thing I've done, I've totally, totally thrown off all of my responsibilities and done a great injustice to those kids. We can go and sit in the stands and yell and cheer for them all we want to, but if we never interact with them, look them in the eye and pray for them and talk to them about the Savior that can save their soul from hell, we have thrown off our responsibility just like Adam did. I'm going too slow. I need to hurry up. Thirdly, we need to intentionally establish proper order in our home. This is the hard part. Let me get a drink of water. We've talked about this stuff before, but it's just a reminder course. It doesn't, it doesn't cost you anything extra. You already paid your offering. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, verse 21, if you back up and look at it, it says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. We've got to submit ourselves to one another. And what we're going to talk about right here is what that looks like, submitting to one another. Both have to submit. That's what people don't get. They don't understand. But verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the, the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. This is where I just offended 80% of you. Few women are offended, and a lot of men think they're really happy. I'll get to you men in a minute. Ladies, Listen, everything was set up with order. Everything was set up with authority. Everything was set. God is a God of order, authority, and unity. And if you don't have authority in place, you'll never have unity. The Holy Spirit works in submission to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ works in submission to God the Father. That's just the way it is. God placed the man in the family, called him Father. He is the head of the family. In God's sight, that man will stand before God and answer for everything that's happened in that family. Your husband will, not you. You'll answer for what you've done, obviously, but for every decision made in that family, in the overall direction of that family, your husband will look God in the eye and have to answer for everything that was said or done. That includes your actions. That's hard to hear. In light of that and out of love for your husband and respect for your husband, submit to the man because he's going to have to answer for it. That doesn't mean submit as in though you're a lesser creation or that you're no good. That means because of the order of authority and head and covering that God has established, you just need to fall in line with where you need to be. And that means submission means I happily follow. That's what that means. In other words, the scripture says, wives, happily follow your husband. It doesn't mean that you don't have a say. It doesn't mean that you don't have any input. It doesn't mean that you're important. Actually, the scripture shows that you are very important that he's supposed to give his life for you. And if the husband will do that, you will submit to him very easily. Now, men, I will tell you this. I get sick and tired of women coming to me and saying, my husband, all he screams at me is says, you're to submit to me, woman, because that's what the Bible says. Listen to me. You are way out of line if you are telling your wife that. 
You are so far, you are closer to the leading of Satan than you are of God. Because that is, that is, Jesus Christ came into this world not as a dictator, but as a servant. Servant. Ladies, if you will find a man that will submit to you. The other thing I want to say, if there's young girls in here that are dating, this does not talk about boyfriends. You don't submit to a boyfriend. You don't submit to some guy, some punk that shows up in a car that's beat up and uh, his best shirt and then gum in his mouth so his breath doesn't stink and he's got all the gel and he's got the little swoop thing going. You don't do that. You don't submit to him until that rings on your finger. You understand me? He doesn't tell you what to do. And if he tries to tell you what to do, you need to get rid of him because he's probably going to be a dominant dictator husband after you're married. Run as fast as you can. And if you need help running, let me know and I'll tackle him (laughs) so you can get away. Ladies, this does not lessen you. It doesn't make you a nobody. We commit all ourselves to Christ just as the church does. You know, we need to submit to Him, so also we need to submit. And, it, and with that, closing that thought out, I want to say this one thing, ladies. You cannot submit partially to your husband, okay? It's all or nothing. It's just like with Christ. If we submit to Christ partially and only obey part of His Word, then it's really ineffective. And if you only submit to him and say, well, he's good with money, so I'll submit to him in that area and I'll follow him in that area. But as far as the moral standard he set for our family, that's a little harsh. I'm not going to follow that. Kids, come here and, and we won't tell dad. We'll just do this. What you are setting up is your child to be rebellious towards your father, his, their father. If your children see you rebelling against dad, they'll rebel against dad. And do you know what rebellion is? Rebellion is as of the sin of witchcraft in God's sight. You will be instilling hatred and sinful things that really can can harm their relationship with Christ in eternal destination. (laughs) How's come my wife's the only one amen and in the room? (laughs) For the sake of your children, submit to your husbands, ladies. All right, I'm done with you, ladies. Let's tear up the men now. You ready? Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. Listen, Jesus Christ died for us. He didn't come in and say, listen, I was born on this earth and you're going to submit to me or die. He didn't say that. He walked around. He healed the sick. He healed the blind. He fed the hungry. He met the needs. He gave him himself. He would go away even when he was trying to go away by himself and people followed him. He met their needs until he could go away for his time. Guys have this attitude that said, this is my time. Leave me alone. That is not true. Every second that you're placed in this home and in this family, gentlemen, is your time to lead them. But I don't have any time. Listen, Time is good and it's good to have recreation, but if your recreation outweighs the time that you're teaching and training and speaking love into your family, then something is off and you have thrown away your responsibility and there's going to be a day of judgment for that. Now, I can be really harsh to the guys because I am one. And I know it's hard with me, it's hard for me, and and, uh, it's hard. It's just hard to allow yourself to get to the place to where you're doing the right thing. I need to hurry because I'm running out of time. And if I go long, will you love me? Four or five of you, six of you? That's good. Men, before we begin to demand that she submit to us, we better be sure that we are acting in love. 
We better be sure that we've thought the process through. We better be sure that we are showing self-control. We better be sure that we're showing joy. We better be sure that we're doing exactly what God has called us to do. And we better be sure that we've sought God before we make decisions for our family. April told me years ago, she said, listen, and we were getting into ministry full time. I said, she said, listen, I will go anywhere with you. I will do whatever you ask me to do. But you better never lead this family without prayer. I'll submit to you and I'll follow you and your word, whatever you say goes, and I'll follow you. You will go wherever you will and I'll, I'll die with you. I'll do whatever. But you better be sure and you better promise me that you never lead this family without prayer. Boy, talk about putting a burden on your shoulders. Talk about the responsibility of having human beings depending upon you making the right decision. Verse 26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, speaking of the church. Husbands, we need to intentionally lead for the benefit of others. It says to cleanse them by the washing of the word. Now, I love babies. You know? And they get that little, that little bath seat thing where they kind of sit up in it and it holds them up because they can't sit up, sit up very good. And you stick it in the sink, you know, and you put the little baby in the sink and you get the water perfect because you're too lazy, you don't want to bend over the tub. So you got them in the kitchen sink and you're playing and they're splashing and looking at you. And they're all cute and their little fine hairs all going everywhere. And you're making artwork with it and they're laughing and you're taking pictures. Now, would you take a really hard scrub brush and when it was time to wash that baby and go <laughs> you wouldn't do that to a baby when you're, when you're washing their body you wouldn't scrape their skin off of their body would you? no but men we have this tendency because we are the leaders and we are the dictators and we are the ones set up to lead by God that we have this tendency to, to scrub people with the word of God Woman, you are to submit. Every time a kid does something wrong, a dad will go get that Bible and say, you want to see what you just did? You go to hell for that. You lie to me, boy? Look! Revelation 21.8 says it. You know, if this is how we lead, if the only time we get the Word of God out is when somebody's done something wrong and we want to correct them, if that's the only time we get it out, that kid's going to despise the Word of God and he's going to despise what you have to say. We need to cleanse them. Cleansing is, is a very gentle process. It involves gentle soap. It involves gentle, gentle touching and, and loving hands and cleansing and, and cleaning off dirt and grime. Gentlemen, it's, we've been called to disciple and train our family and to do it lovingly and to present them to us pure and holy. Verse 27 says that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Gentlemen, we need to set a standard of holiness in our family. And it, it's got to start with us. God says it. The mentality has always been with, with teenagers growing up and, and they say, well, you know, the girls just need to say no because those boys can't control themselves. That's a lie. Scripture says it's our responsibility to present our bride to us pure and holy. 
Gentlemen, we set the standard of holiness in our house. What's going to be on television? What's going to be brought in and placed in the DVD player? What's going to be ordered over the direct TV? We have a decision, an idea of the standard of holiness, and you can't hide it. You can't hide a lower level of holiness in your closet and have a different level of holiness in front of your kids because if you do, they'll despise you for it. When I was a kid and I would go over to a friend's house and other friend's houses, I always knew where we could find pornography. It was usually in dad's closet or between the mattresses or under the beds. Dad's stuff. I developed a problem through that knowing where I could go find it other places. Did you know I ripped my house apart looking for it to see if my dad had anything stashed somewhere and I found nothing? Dad set a standard of holiness in our house. We didn't live like that. Gentlemen, if you've got things hidden away in your computer, on the phones, or in the closets, or under the bed, listen to me, your kids will find it. And they want to know who you are. They want to know who you are. Guys, we've got to clean our lives up. We've got to clean our mouths up. We've got to clean up our attitudes of holiness. We cannot lead a family appropriately without it. Lastly, husbands love intentionally. We need to love intentionally and with extravagance for our wives. Verse 28, 29 says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it, cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. Listen, men are, are overgrown boys. We love toys, man. New set of golf clubs, new, new rifle, shotgun, new truck, new four-wheeler. Uh, some of you guys, your eyes are just dancing right now. Direct TV package for NFL, whatever, all-inclusive thing where you can sit and watch. All kinds of sports things, all this stuff. We all get excited. And we'll spend thousands and billions of dollars on our own thing, but if our wife wants something. So we don't have money for that. Some of you can't say amen because you know where I'm coming from. That's the mentality of us because we are the leader, you know. I work for this money. I can do what I want with it. God says you need to love her like you would yourself. Love her extravagantly. If you love your own flesh and you want things, you want something that costs $10,000, then why don't you take that $10,000 and spend it on your wife? I guarantee you it's going to make your home a happier place than if you spend it on yourself. But our mentality is, oh, but, but I'm the leader. I'm, 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 I'm. You sound like a bulldog. Be quiet. Listen, you may be the leader, but if you're not leading according to the way God left, led us through Jesus Christ, you are being a negative leader and actually being unproductive. In some cases, destructive to your family. You want to love your wife? Give her, give her a few hundred dollars and say, hey, why don't you and the girls go away for a couple days on the weekend, go shopping, buy yourself something, just have a great time. But sweetie, I want to be with you. That's fine. You and I, we'll go away. Just this is the two of us. We'll get somebody for the kids and we'll spend a couple of days out somewhere and we're going to, I'm going to go buy you some nice things and we're going to eat out some nice meals and we're just going to have a great time because I love you. All of a sudden, your wife's eyes drop. Why? Because you've removed yourself from the television. If we will do that, if we will take the money that we want to spend on ourselves and spend it on them, they're not going to have a problem submitting to you because you've showed yourself responsible for them. You've taught them, you've discipled them, you've shown a level of holiness in your home, you've loved them sacrificially, you've given up your past and all your future to spend your time with them, and now all the resources that are given to you, you're giving back to them, all of a sudden, they say, yeah, yeah, I'll submit to him. I'll do whatever he wants me to do. It's obvious this guy's not stuck on himself, and he loves somebody other than him. 
And then when that day comes and he says, you know what, sweetie, I'm just going to have to make a decision on this. I'm going to have to say no. She'll submit because she knows it's with good intentions. That's how it works. And if we can get our families in order, we get our families in order, God's going to work. And I'm going to close with this thought. I I was watching the, the news couple days ago and they had this lady that was a granddaughter of, of a surviving officer of the Titanic. Did anybody see that? She was talking about some, some new stuff that this guy told her on his deathbed before he died or whatever and blah 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 blah. Apparently there was a miscommunication that caused them to hit the iceberg to begin with. It was seen and it should have been avoided and they used some kind of different, uh, I don't understand all of it, but different terminology that caused them to turn the wrong way and actually steer into it and it ripped a hole inside the Titanic. We know that. We're aware of that. But what happened next was amazing. The, the captain said, we're going to just go forward. Just keep going forward, full speed. And uh, all the, the other officers around him were saying, I, I don't know how to do that. Let's, let's just back her down and you know, assess things and see what's going on. He said, no, we're going to go full speed ahead. We're going to, that's where we're going. And they said that because he went full speed ahead, it forced the water up into that gap and caused a ship to sink in two and a half hours when it should have taken six plus hours to sink. And because this captain had disregarded everybody else and he was going to lead with his mindset, more people perished than probably what had to. Listen, men, your wife is your first mate. She's your helpmate. You need to listen to her, okay? You need to lead, yes, you need to make decisions, but the decision has to be made understanding what you're in charge of. The man made a decision to go forward, and because of it, it sunk a lot faster than it had to. Our homes are our ships, and we have a choice to make. Moms and dads, if you just go full steam ahead, apart from the Word of God, there's a chance that your ship is going to sink and it's not going to be very successful. We've been set out on a voyage, not from, not from England or Europe, wherever they were headed to America with the Titanic. We've been set out on a voyage for us, the fathers and the families and the mothers, to join together and to lead our family to heaven, to Christ. That's, that's the journey from here to there. And if we just go full steam ahead in our own direction, doing whatever we want, and we ignore... We ignore the compass of God's Word leading them to Christ. If we do that, we're going to sink. And then we're going to be held accountable to God for it. You say, Pastor Bob, that's a lot of weight you're putting on me. I I, I realize it, but I didn't put it on you. God did. I'm just telling you what He said. And I'm saying it in love. And you, you say, how does all this tie into being compelled by love? Listen, if we are so bent on, on funding missions projects, if we are so bent on loving uh, people that are lost, if we are so bent to come to this church and to love one another, why can't we do it in our homes? You see, everything private moves public. If we seek God in private, it's going to show up in the public. Our homes are our private place. What do they look like? And it's time for the people of God to stand up and not just verbally say, you know, we're going to be a good family, a Christian family. It is time to intentionally do it. Men, 
You say, Pastor Bob, it's hard for me to lead my family in devotions. If it's hard for you to lead your family in devotions, I will help you get connected with a nice little family devotional that's got scripture in it and it's got a life application that you can sit down and read together. It takes five to ten minutes and you pray together. It will make all the difference in the world. If you're more confident and you can open up the scripture and just begin to start reading chapters and, and talk about what's in that passage with your family, it will begin to change hearts and lives. Your teenagers may fight you at first if you've never done it before, but trust me, when they hear you praying for them and they see your life lived out in front of them, they're going to see something genuine and real. They may rebel a little bit from time to time, but they'll never forget the example that you set before them and it will infect their lives. If we're so interested on people on the other side of the world, why aren't we interested in our children? If we are so interested to fund missionaries in Africa, why is it that we can't sit down with our beautiful children, look them in the eye, God's gift to us, God's responsibility for us to raise up in His, in his fear and admonition? Why can't we look at them and invest 10 minutes of time to talk to them about God's Word? Yeah, we'll sit in the bleachers and ball games for hours and cheer and yell and we'll come home and talk about that in the car or the excitement, the activities, how well they did, and all those things are good and fun, but it's all null and void if we can't sit down for 10, 15 minutes or even more and sit and look at the Word of God and say, this is why we do what we do. Gentlemen, men, I'm giving you a challenge this morning. And I wouldn't challenge you to do something that I myself am not doing. I encourage you to take leadership of your home Ladies, I challenge you this morning to allow him to take some leadership in your home. But gentlemen, when you do this, you better do it according to God's word. You have to. Will you stand with me this morning?